are risen because you are alive. We have life in you. We thank you, Jesus. And in your good and your strong name, all the church said, amen. You can be seated. All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. You got to sing some incredible songs. Um, hopefully, you know, this helped like frame some stuff for you as far as the living hope piece, which is really powerful. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but also just the blood of Christ. And, and, and we'll get there in, in the text in just a few moments as well. Just really grateful for this, this time. I want to kind of share briefly um, just a reminder that God gave me. One, one of the things that happens in life is that God you know, in relationship, he will use a variety of things to kind of help reframe or, you know, what I call like double clicking on the page or refreshing the page for us to kind of help us remember who we are, remember what we're about and all that. So just want to kind of share that with you. So Thursday night um, was kind of a culmination night um, for our family. So 11 years ago, we, we had our first like Pop Warner football practice um, as a family, and we, we have this thing where everything's within, you know, the family. We share this together. We do this together. If I'm taking a kid to practice, that means I'm not with the other kids. And so we, we had this, and so through Isaac, our oldest, his whole life from that point forward for 11 years has been about using the game of football to kind of help frame him as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the conversations on the way to practice, on the way from practice, on the way to games, on the way from games has always been about like what he can do to make sure who he is in Christ is seen and what he does. And so that's just part, we talk about our faith, we talk about the things that we do or don't like in the game, whether it's with basketball, whether it's with soccer, which I'm still trying to figure that out, but um, just trying to leverage these conversations for the Lord. When Isaac was about eight or nine, I had gotten this like messenger bag and I had embroidered on there this phrase, this Latin phrase that was kind of made known um, with a, a few other ones during the Reformation called, and it just says, Sole Dea Gloria. And that, that's a statement. And so it was just a bag that I would put my stuff in to go to the office. It, it means to, to God alone be glory. Um, there's a lot more to it, but that's kind of in summary. And so had this, and so it became something that Isaac ended up liking. And so in football, we would talk about what does it look like to bring glory to the Lord in what you do? Like to make sure, because our family rules are like do your best, enjoy yourself, and some other things. Like how do we make sure that we glorify God in and using this game, which is just game where you're tackling a bunch of people, which seems crazy, and being tackled by other people, which is crazy. Um, but how do you make sure God is known through it? And so one of the rhythms is how do I add value and encourage my teammates? How do I make sure that my effort shows that I care and value who God is in my life? And, and so Thursday night after, you know, he got done with the um, sloppy agape session of crying um, with their teammates and they were crying and loving each other, hugging each other, which, you know, what's funny is like cut and paste that guys, a bunch of boys hugging and, and crying and telling each other to love each other out of context could be really different. But in that context, it was perfect. Just that's a joke, but, but funny. Um, so anyways, he comes over to me finally and um, we, we start clapping as he's coming. And so as he's coming over, we, we talk, I kiss him. Um, I still think it's an important thing, by the way, dads, to kiss your kids, boys or girls, just let them know you love them. Um, two of my kids, not so much, they don't like it so much, but I'm still going to do it. I don't care. Um, so I kiss him on the forehead, um, and I, I say to him in his, like, little brown eyes that are swollen from crying, um, I'm like, hey, you represented the Lord well. Without a beat, he says to me, well, that was the goal. And so for me, I share that with you just as somebody, and this is a vulnerable moment, to illustrate this point. 
that I'd forgotten that sometimes in my life, even as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, that's my goal. Like, I want to make sure that I'm living a life that glorifies the Lord, that represents the Lord well. And so for maybe some of us in this room, we needed to kind of double-click on that too. So I want to invite you to double-click on it with me and say for a second, we need to pray that God would in this moment begin to reignite in us a passion for living our lives for the glory of his name. Because there are a lot of things that can distract us from that. A lot of adversity that you can face, a lot of opportunities where you don't get on the field or you don't get the thing that you think you should have and all these things. But the reason we exist is sole dea gloria. So that God alone gets the glory, period. There's that prayer we're going to pray. The next thing we're going to pray about too is that God would reignite in us a passion and a love for him and a love for those that don't know him yet. Like he would awaken us to say, like, hey, I, I want you to love me, but I also want you to love those that don't know me yet. I want to make sure that you look out for ways to leverage conversations, to lever the, leverage the wisdom and the things that you know that other people can know, like for their good and my glory. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend a moment together as brothers and sisters and say, hey, we want God to be known in us through these things. And so that what, and my question is, and I always ask this, is like what would happen if we as a body of believers let it click to us why he made us, that he loves us, he's proven that, and that we can love him. And, and one of the ways that we could show we love him is like loving people that don't know him yet, that bear his image and show that love to them too. Okay. So let's pray that God would do a work in our heart and transform us to a people who lives outside of these walls for the glory of the name who deserves it. Let's do it together, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, what I love is that as creative and as thoughtful as I can be with words, I will never in my lifetime be able to exhaust or overstate the value, the beauty, the weight of your grace in my life. Not in my lifetime here on earth or not my, in my lifetime with you in eternity. Father, it will never be able to happen where I can exhaust what you deserve, just from that one attribute of yours. And Lord, an example of that is how you would use a variety of circumstances, a variety of people, even a child that you have trusted me to raise, you would use to remind me that my life is yours. It's for you. And I know that there are brothers and sisters of Christ in Christ in this room that, that, that need to be reminded, as I do, that our lives are for you. So, Lord, reignite that in us. Drive us more and more to this uncommon love for you and for those that don't know you. Lord, help us, like, really not be afraid of communicating the hope that's found in Christ to those that don't know you yet. So, so often, 
We let the fear of what they will say to us or what they will think about us dictate something that we should do. Like, let, don't let fear be the thing that keeps us from that, Father. I pray that you would help us understand that that fear would eventually turn into shame. Shame that we didn't proclaim your name to those that didn't know. So, Father, so motivate us, so drive us to communicate this hopeful gospel to anyone at any moment that you lead us. Father, we thank you for this time that we get to share your word. Lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, church, we, we are closing our last uh, message from 1 Peter today. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of refresh all of it, review it, and kind of read a bunch of scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, today's your day. You get to go through it and show off and be like, I know where it's at in the Bible. And we're going to be like just two pages in, so it's, it's cool, whatever. And if, if you don't own a Bible, what we want to let you know about is in the back, right by John, that guy right there. See, see John? Go stare at John. Wave at John. Okay, see, I got him to crack. See, Boom. He was doing the mannequin challenge for a second there, and we broke it. All right, so, um, so right by him is, is a bookshelf. It's got Bibles on it. Grab one if you don't own one. Um, we would be honored for you to take that so that you have your own copy. So a few things just to kind of reframe for us. We have walked through the call to the elect exiles of the dispersion. This is in the first century church, which is amazing to think about. So I'm going to kind of draw this in for a second. So this message that Peter who oftentimes in his own life forgot because he didn't apply it. There were times where, where he had to be rebuked by Christ. He had to be rebuked by, by Paul. But, man, God led him to write this to these people. And all this encouragement and, and really the faithfulness that happened as a result of some of those elect exiles is really the reason why you and I here in 2021 are hearing about this. Because of their faithfulness, 20 centuries ago. Like, are you, you catching that? So this message of hope, this, this path of life, this encouragement from, like, the, the Holy Spirit of God through the, the Apostle Peter that they heeded and led by the Holy Spirit of God responded and by faith submitted to, over time, that message was magnified from generation to generation as the followers of Christ there in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, read this and said, this gospel is so true and it's so transformational, and I need to tell my brothers and sisters about it. I need to tell those people that are around me about this hope. And it went to the point where eventually, somehow or another, by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, got to us right here. That's how important what we are talking about is. Like, so there's no understating God's word being living and active, right? That it would last this long and transcend all the wars, all the conflict, all the terrible leaders to get to a point where right here, right now, we are looking at this together. It also serves as a guide for us here today, but just in a similar way where I feel like Jeremiah 29 served as a guide for 1 Peter when he was writing to exiles, 
In Jeremiah 29, we, we talked about this when we first started First Peter, talking about the elect exiles. We had to go back to Jeremiah 29. And if you weren't here, I just want to remind you, that's one of those things where a lot of us, our favorite verse of Scripture is found in verse 11. Um, you know it. It's the one that your, your grandma cross-stitched on a pillow. It's got some doilies and some lace on it. That's the one I'm talking about, verse 11. But in that context, what's crazy, that's a joke. And you guys are like so locked in on me, man. <laughs> Loosen up the knobs. Okay, here we go. And, and so you're like, I'm the grandma. I, I'm not totally did that for Christmas, and you just outed me. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, so this, this text, which is so powerful and weighty here, is this, is that in the midst of the destruction, that's when he's writing this. Like there is still smoke coming up from the fire that destroyed the city. And he's letting them know that God has a hope and a future for them. It isn't like they just did a whole cool thing and they just walked the yellow brick road and boom, God's got a plan for you. No, they just went through the hardest thing. Jeremiah's writing from the hardest place of his life and he's saying that God's got a plan for him. But a few verses before that from the Lord, Jeremiah gives them some things to do while they're in exile, some things that they should be participating in. And it's like super rocket science. Watch this. He says, build houses when you get there. Okay, build houses. What else? Plant gardens. Well, that seems pretty basic. Like, that's what he's asking to do. Like, get married, have a family, have your family have a family, multiply in the land there, and then the craziest part. And this is where it's like, where the, the pen just kind of screeks off the page. It says this, look out for the welfare of the city. That place that the enemies dragged you to, look out for their, their welfare. Not only look out for it, do good for their, do benefit, like find ways to serve them, but also pray that God would benefit them in that city. That's the call. That's the same call that, that Peter gives here. And I don't think it's a far stretch at all to say that's our call right here, right now. As we are not at home, we are elect exiles. We're in this time in life and space. And you need to, to like see yourself as deliberate and called of God for such a time as this, as Mordecai would say to, to Esther. To think of yourself as one who would be so leveraged, so used to know that it's not the pastor's job to share the gospel with your aunt or uncle at Thanksgiving. It's your job to share the gospel with your aunt or uncle at Thanksgiving. Not me. I just want to do my dead level best to equip you to that. But man, you've got to own that by the power of your spirit. That's that person in your life. You have your own mission field. Mine is a little different. But I want you to own it and walk in the power of the spirit there. So here's a the, here's the thought as we frame, as we go through this text together. We're going to try to go as fast as we can because of time. It says, Here's the thought. The thought is we have an uncommon call in front of us, okay, with an uncommon future promised to us. We have an uncommon call in front of us, but we have an uncommon future promised to us. And so let's review some of the highlights of 1 Peter and see this uncommon call, but also our uncommon future. So 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Again, I'm going to try to go as fast as I can because I want you to see these things. But again, if you, if you don't have a Bible, grab one, take it home, and read this for yourself. 
Now watch this, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I love this. This living hope is not bound by some expiration date. It's not on a ventilator. It's not like, you know, going to reach some, some end deadline. No, it is for real all the time, a living hope. And it happened through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is where this hope leads us to. It leads leads us to an inheritance that is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you. It is waiting on you. Okay, so we've got an uncommon future in front of us, right? Keep going. Who by God's power are being guarded, you're being guarded too, not just the things promised, but you too are being guarded through a faith for salvation, ready to be, ready to be revealed in the last time. So in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while. This is present tense. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like that's what we're going for. His praise, his glory, his revelation, right? Him. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him right now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I I love that phrase. Like this joy is so transcendent, so inexpressible that it leaves you speechless. Oftentimes we say that, that I'm speechless. Usually it's in disgust because somebody did something to hurt us. But this thing we have in Christ is so incredibly magnificent that we don't even have the words that accurately depict the joy that it provides us. I love this. Filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then skipping down to verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, which means having this anticipation of thought where you're getting ready for something, right? You're ready to do it. And being sober-minded. Many of us did not grow up with sober-minded households. Like, I did not. As a result of the trauma my mom faced as a child and as a young woman who was married twice, like, she went through some hard stuff, like, being sober-minded was not a normal option for her. It is something she had to choose. And let me just tell you, as a result of her pain, me and my brother and sisters went through the same pain listening to her recount that. So to have this clarity here and a mindset for action is something unique. And in that, we're to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. There are a lot of things to set your hope on. You can hope your team wins. One thing we, we are learning is that hope is not a strategy. Hope needs to be your reality. You need to depend on this truth that's been provided for you. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, okay? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Just as it is written, you shall be holy 
for I am holy. Now, this call here is to righteousness, which we get in Christ, but it's also to be separate from the world, to be different. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time, your time of exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. You weren't like ransomed with something that's expendable, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's our hope. So we're singing this a few moments ago. Like, are you with me on this? Like, not only do I wish I could sing like that, which would be awkward if I could. Man, you sound a whole lot like a, like Mandy. Um, but just, but man, can you imagine the blood of Christ? That's what's ransomed us. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then we see in, in verse 22 of chapter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Like this work of what Christ has done is softening your hard heart that had you at center, okay? The whole point of it is not just for you, but for the benefit of those around you, that they should sense and see this kind of love that has transformed your life. Chapter 2, 4 and 5, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, like him in other words, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love this. It's made acceptable because of Jesus. Like apart from Christ, our offerings are not acceptable, but in Christ, they are made acceptable. Because as we see in Isaiah, like our righteousness is as filthy rags before holy God. But because of Christ, our offerings of righteousness are acceptable in him. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. Listen to this picture of the identity of those in Christ. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You have responsibility, right? A holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here's why. This is why you exist, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Now, I want to pause here. This is where I'm going to meddle a little bit. You guys down with that? Okay. Some of us have got into this, like, misleading information like there's there's three categories okay there's you don't know Jesus yet so you're in this category over here and it's before Christ came in and you're lost we'll say it that way right and and then we we think well okay well I prayed a prayer at camp it was awesome man I was crying you know all happened it was good and so I'm converted now and then we think there's this other category as if it's some like higher level of faith where now I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, you need to know there's not three categories. There's two. This conversion piece is part of you being a disciple piece. Do you understand? Like you were lost, didn't know the Lord, and then you see 
that, that there is no hope outside of him. And so instead of you following your way, which leads to destruction, you follow him and his way, which leads to life. And as you follow him, you realize you are his disciple and you want to become like him because you are conformed to his image. That's what's happening. It's not you just get to hang out here in, in the waiting room of being converted for the rest of your life like it's some like insurance policy because you're in good hands. And you're walking around with your discount double check all the time. Not the case. But we're living like that. So you are the, the reason, like you've been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. That is your call on your life. And you get salvation. That's part of it too. But you are a disciple. And if you're a disciple then you are making disciples. You are proclaiming this truth to other people in dark places. I just want to make sure because I feel like sometimes we got that as a distinction. Like, oh, like a, you know, someone on a merit badge or like an Eagle Scout, like I, I can earn this and put it. No, this is who you are. Just to explain it. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You didn't see the middle line there, right? It's either you, you were not, and now you are, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Here's why we would do such a thing. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, as they try to indict you, they would see your good deeds. They would see the way you respond in the midst of adversity. They would see that you're not choosing sinful ways. You're actually choosing life. And, and notice this, and they would glorify God on the day of visitation. How can a Gentile, which in this case means unbeliever, how can they glorify God? Because they have seen our witness and example in Christ as disciples. And they're like, wait a minute. And, and the seed of the gospel is planted in their hearts, and God softens their hearts and draws them to repentance. And as a result, they glorify the God, or God, on the day of visitation. And then Peter goes through and gives like four areas where we're really to be subject to these areas for the Lord's sake. We talk about being citizens in a, a, a nation. Talk about being employees under a, a boss. We talk about being a husband and a wife and how do we respond to one another. And then last week we kind of alluded to this fact of how do we respond in the body of Christ. Sheep to shepherds and shepherds to sheep. And how do we respond to each other. And then in chapter 3 verse 8 it says, Finally all of you have unity of mind. That phrase real quick. You need to know that there is a grand distinction between unity and uniformity. And the fact that we're looking at this room and I'm seeing a bunch of good looking people and some other people and, okay, you, I just want to see everybody's paying attention. And you don't all look alike. But each of you bear the image of God. That illustrates something for us. That we've got an imprint on our soul which draws us together even though we have distinctions that are different. He didn't say all of you guys are going to have cul-de-sac haircuts and look a little bit like Grimace. Me, right? 
If you don't know who Grimace is, that's on you. You're not old enough. Cul-de-sac. Okay, we're with me. That's uniformity, which looks like unity but is not. We're called to unity, which means that there has been a change so magnificent in your heart that you surrender your will, your agenda for the sake of what God together has called you to. That's unity. And here's what it looks like. It's sympathy for one another. It's brotherly love. It's tenderheartedness. It's a humble mind where you don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, you bless, for this is what you were called to, that you may obtain a blessing. And then in chapter 4, 1 and 2, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We'll talk about that in a second. If you weren't here that Sunday, we talked about so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for your human passions, but living for the will of God. And then verse 4 lets us know about the human passions. It says, with respect to this, they are, those who don't know the Lord, are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. Notice the word that's modifying there, flood, which means there's a whole lot of debauchery, which is a whole lot of sin to the point where he uses the word flood to magnify it. And because you don't do that, they're surprised. And as a result of you not doing it, they malign you. That's the suffering that he's talking about. They belittle you. They degrade you. They don't do business with you anymore. They don't invite you to things anymore. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. And then as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. This is one of the greatest things I love about the body of Christ is in this room, there are so many magnificent talents and gifts, but it's not just that resource. It's also the resource of your story, your education, your experience, the wisdom that God has given you over the span of your life for the good of the body building up. Leveraging it. And we used this word, um, this word picture a while back where it's the idea of a seesaw. And for those of you who are proper teeter totter, just to make you happy, okay? So a seesaw is a lever, right? You, you're taking your weight to lift up the weight of another person. And that's the picture here. God has given you a gift for the benefit of lifting someone else up. And then chapter 4, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Like, expect it, in other words, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Because when he's revealed, as Colossians 4 tells us, like, we too will be revealed. And he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why, why would you say that? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In the midst of the pain you're going through, for the name of Jesus, you continue to do good. You continue to move the ball forward. You continue to magnify the name and, and talk about his marvelous gospel to those that don't know him yet. Well, now that I'm done with the introduction... Let's deal with the text for this Sunday. 
Let me read it. Chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And just, just for you to know, this picture here of, of drawing near to God, casting your cares on him, this, this picture that's there resisting the devil is also in James 4, where it says this in verse 7 and 8. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Like, lay down yourselves before, before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So this is a, a common picture for believers. Verse 10, and... After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. And then it closes with this word of praise. It's called a doxology. That's what word of praise, or doxology means, word of praise. Verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so we see this picture of humbling ourselves in verse 6 and that you may be exalted towards the end there. Here's the thing that you need to know. None of us really know the weight or value of exaltation without the path of humiliation. We don't know the value and weight of being exalted by God unless we've experienced humiliation. Only God, not bound by time, not bound by sin, not bound by death, knows exaltation without humiliation. That is why the gift of God in the flesh is so important for us. Because God in Christ willingly put on flesh, willingly suffered, willingly was willingly rejected and mocked, and willingly died by the hands of men, so we can experience his exaltation in him. That's the only way we can experience this exaltation is because of Christ. So we have to humble ourselves. So let's unpack just for brief, because we for sake of time. These verses to see how we can respond to this uncommon call. We see in verse 6, we, in, in humbling ourselves, you need to know your place. And how do you know your place? You're under the mighty hand of God. And if you're under the mighty hand of God, that means you are smaller than he is. You're not as, as strong and as powerful as he is. So he is greater than you. Only he can exalt you. So know your place here by humbling yourself. The second thing you see in verse 7 is that you can trust God. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him. How many of you try to manage your anxieties on your own? Anybody besides me try that? That whole worry stuff. And, you, man, it, you totally solve all the problems with all that worrying. That's like getting ticked off at a hole while still holding the shovel. I'm bringing my southernisms out. Okay, here we go. You can trust God, verse 7 tells us. Why? Because he provides for you. You can trust God. Why? Because he cares for you. My question is, 
First of all, do you know your need? And do you know that he can meet your need? Do you know your need? And do you know that he can meet your need? We see in verse 8 to begin to think clearly because some of us are not. We're not thinking with a sober mind. And so as a result, like we have zero self-awareness. So what I'm saying is be aware of your own struggles. Be aware of your own vulnerabilities. Because let me make you a solid promise. The enemy knows your vulnerabilities. The enemy knows your struggles. And your enemy is real and does not care about you. So your enemy wants to destroy you. And do you know that your enemy knows your weaknesses? So again, think clearly. The fourth thing in verse 9, we see we need to resist the enemy. How do we resist the enemy? Well, James helps us with this too, right? By being grounded in Christ, we draw near to him. We know what he's accomplished for us, so we respond to that. We're grounded, we're anchored in that truth. How do we continue to resist the enemy? We see that we are not alone. We have a brotherhood, right? We have a whole community of faith that struggles just like we do. So we're not alone in this struggle. And so what I love, and this is something I get to experience personally. I, I, I had this Bible study that I get to be part of on Wednesday nights called The Barn, The Lindig Barn. And we circle up and we look at each other in the faces and we remind each other that we're not alone in this struggle to chase after God and his word and to follow him and invite our families to do the same. I love that about it because that reminds me that I'm not alone. So we have a brotherhood. So my question is, in resisting the enemy, do you know where your help comes from? Do you know this? The fifth uncommon response is to trust that God will not waste anything that you've suffered. Like that truth right there, so many of us in this room just need to know that. God will not waste anything you've suffered. He will restore you. And these are pictures of exaltation, by the way. So that humbling in, in verse 6, here's the exaltation here in verse 10. He will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. So just on a personal level, just me and you. We were in this meeting the other day. And um, we would have to, like, preface something where, where we would say, hey, can I, can I say something that's the last 10%, which means we could tell truth, everybody could tell truth up to 90%, but we're asking permission to say the 10% that nobody wants to say. So just imagine me and you are in a conversation, and we're just saying, the only thing we could talk about, you can tell me truth, is the last 10%. And in this 10% of the conversation, which is the real, real, like real you, nitty-gritty, no veneers, no faking, just me and you, I want to know, do you know that God knows what you're going through? And you're not alone in that. Do you know that? And if the answer is no, and you say, I I really don't think he does. I want to believe that he does, but I don't know. Then what I want to serve as today is your brother, your friend. And just say, hey, look, 
I get it. More than you know, more than oftentimes I would like to admit. That's where I'm at. But let me tell you something. I have seen the hand of God move in my heart and life in so many ways. And I just want to, as your brother, as your friend, who gets to be called your pastor, like, you can trust him. He knows what you're going through. And it's not wasted. We do have an uncommon call in front of us. We do. This call to be elect exiles, right, to be this royal priesthood, what an uncommon call. It is not normal. It is not natural to us. But we also have an uncommon future prepared for us. Do you know that? And I want to invite you to trust in that. And so today, I'm going to go ahead and invite my elders that are in the room. If you guys would go ahead and come on up with your wives. If you, um, we just need you, if you, you'd be available for prayer. Um, I think, yeah, there's Keith. I didn't see you over there. If, if you're here today and you're hearing me ask this question about does God know what you're going through, and you're like, man, I don't know. But, man, you would like somebody to pray with you, to walk with you through this, to help you better understand what it can look like then after I'm done in a moment and I dismiss this, if you can just kind of lurk around for a second and, and then come and grab one of our elders or, or even Miss Maria or Aaron's going to come over here with Mike. Um, and just say, hey, would you just pray with me? Because I, I would certainly like to know more about that. Okay? Let me pray for us real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for this. Lord God, what an incredible call that you've placed in our life. But, Lord God, what an incredible future we have waiting on us. And, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who don't know that about themselves yet. I pray, Lord God, that you would use your word, use the body of Christ, this truth, to transform them, to help them know and follow after you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, real quick. Um, you got a crazy week in front of you. You know what I'm saying? You got a whole lot of eating coming on. Great. Um, and so maybe you need prayer for self-control. Um, maybe it's you need prayer because that crazy uncle is going to be there. I don't know what it is. Hey, but be encouraged. One thing you need to know is that we are so grateful that we get to serve alongside of you. We love you. Go in Jesus' name. Have a great week. And if you need prayer, feel free to come and get it. Still, and I hope that I never